Now you know me, Justin, I'm relatively well-travelled, having spent a fair amount of time abroad recently, so that's meant accessing the content I want to watch has been difficult. But don't fear, Justin, because there's a solution. What's the solution? It's a handy tool called NordVPN. What's NordVPN, Ryan? Justin, NordVPN is a cyber Swiss army knife with plenty of features and benefits. Firstly, being able to access streaming services from different countries by changing your virtual location at the push of a button, giving you access to so much more content. It means missing sporting events, not being able to watch your favorite shows or films. It's a thing of the past. Better yet, it doesn't just stop at football. So you're telling me it just gives me access to different content? Absolutely not. There's so much more. You can save money, for example, by scouring different flights from different virtual locations, giving you the best deals possible. Better yet, you can do this by purchasing different subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. This is all knowing you're accessing a service that was named in Times Magazine's Best Inventions for 2022. So what are you waiting for? Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It's the equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month, a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the cheap grass fertiliser to my expensive grass fertiliser. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. That joke will make a lot more sense when you get to the news <laughs> section if you don't understand it already. Happy Mother's Day, Justin. Thank you. Um, I'm not a mother, but I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it's all right. Just thought I'd give you some Sunday cheer. Have you got any plans for Mother's Day? No. No, I've, what a terrible son my, you are! My, I tell you what, my mum's making a roast. That's that 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 yeah, yeah that is the plan. Unfortunately, you're making your mum cook on Mother's Day. She loves cooking for us. I'm never oh. I'm never there, and she's got the privilege privilege of um, hosting me for the week because I'm getting a new bathroom fit at home, so I've had to live stay there for the week. So she's blessed with my company, and that's all I can say about that. She's a very lucky woman. I'd say, can you tell her Happy Mother's Day? But I'll tell her myself later. <laughs> Lads making jokes about each other's mothers. Epic banter on the Second Tier Podcast. Um, let's pretend that didn't happen. I hate myself already now. Um, <laughs> welcome to the number one championship <laughs> podcast, the Second Tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This is the place where you get analysis on the championship and jokes about each other's mothers. Um, what we're going to do is going to go through all the championship games from the past weekend talk about all that talk about some of the news from the past few days there's been plenty of news that's been happening and unfortunately a lot of it's very concerning about certain championship clubs so we'll get on to that and then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson take for eight right at the end still recovering from my annoying banter <laughs> at the start there it's the lowest form of humor isn't it Justin <laughs> mum jokes yeah absolutely they can be funny but only when you're on stag do's or out with the out with the boys on a podcast, Ryan. We're a bit more highbrow than that. We I certainly think. are. 
maybe. <laughs> Let's start off with Middlesbrough, shall we? They've closed the gap on Sheffield United again to three points after a brilliant 4-0 win over Preston. And Middlesbrough were just devastating here, weren't they? They were superb. This had the potential to be a really sticky game for Middlesbrough. Preston's away record's the fourth best in the league. There are a good outfit away from home um, and when they when they do tick uh, especially out of possession and on the counter they can be very very difficult to play against um, but Middlesbrough swept them aside it was a fantastic game it was just everything that has come good of Middlesbrough under Michael Carrick just seemed to fall into place in this game there's such good attacking play there's really good individual displays as well um, and there was just yeah just a lot to be really pleased about and yeah, the fans agree because they're back in their numbers at uh, the Riverside as well. You know, I think the attendance is twenty eight thousand or in around twenty eight thousand, which is really impressive because obviously attendance has dropped in recent years. Yeah, well, they just seem to cut through Preston like a knife on multiple occasions. Preston didn't help themselves with some of their defending, but it was one way traffic for a lot of this game. Surprise, surprise! Chuba Akpom got on the score sheet again. <laughs> he scored more goals in twenty twenty two than any other player in the top four divisions of English football. Not really a shock when you consider he's only failed to score in four of his fourteen games this calendar year. He's on twenty four goals for the championship season now. Ryan Giles got a couple of assists. He's become the first player in the championship to get double figures for assists this season. He's a wonderful, wonderful talent. And the headlines, they were all about one player in particular. Cameron Archer, baby. Two very well-taken goals against his former club, no less. And he has fitted seamlessly into this Middlesbrough side, hasn't he? And he's just been exactly what the doctor ordered. The missing piece of the puzzle for Middlesbrough before January was a striker. And they've ended up getting more than just what they needed. He leads the line perfectly. When the ball's played up to him, it sticks and he's more than capable of turning nothing into something just like that. He is the perfect foil for Chuba Akpon playing just behind him as well. And to top it all off, he's a brilliant finisher, of course. Only one player has a better goal conversion rate than him in the championship season. Chuba Akpom, shock. Um, but he, he's way too good to be playing at this level, isn't he? And the crazy thing is, he's 21, 21 years old, and he's had, you know, a season combined now, when you think of the Preston spell from last season as well. He's had basically a whole season where he's just been unplayable, really. And it's ridiculous that he hasn't had more of a go at Villa, because as far as I'm concerned, He's a future England player. He's got everything in his locker to become a top striker. He's a really, really special talent. So, as I said, Middlesbrough now three points behind Sheffield United who haven't played this weekend because of the Cup. And it's finally poised for the business end of the season, isn't it, Justin Peach? Yeah, those games after the international break are, I think it is the definition of business end of the season. It is that fabled business end of the season. It's what we always um, say, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think going into these two weeks for a lot of teams, it's massive. You've got the teams who are down at the bottom of the table who need these two weeks to sort of recharge and go again. And you've got the teams who, like Middlesbrough, West Brom, teams who have had new managers sort of halfway through the season, they get more time on the training ground with with their respective coaches, um, which is remarkable really considering, you know, it feels like Michael Carrick and Carlos Colburn have been in charge for a hell of a long time. They're probably amongst the longest serving managers in the league as well, which is, again, incredible. Um, but no, no less, um, you know, it's, it's a really important period of, uh, of, of time and, and training and, and togetherness to, to go into that really um, 
high pressure environment, which is the, the last last yeah few games of the season. So yeah, it is finally poised, and it's it's going to be an exciting end to the season. There's a lot of teams who have a lot of um, variables to 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 be um, to be relying on. Middlesbrough in particular, being one of those teams and Sheffield United who now have to consider the fact they're in an FA Cup semi-final. Congratulations to them on that. Um, Preston had found some form heading into this, hadn't they? They were unbeaten in seven. Despite that, we were both sceptical of them providing a late challenge for the top six. And I think this game is a good indicator as to why that's the case. Preston as a team are still quite a way off being capable of getting promoted, aren't they? Well, we saw Stoke more than match Middlesbrough in the week, and I know Middlesbrough are very good at bouncing back. But you know, Stoke have got a lot of quality in their team, and they should be batting a lot higher and probably a lot closer to the playoffs um, than what they are. And I think Preston, this game showed Preston exactly why they are going to be a sort of mid-table, lower mid-table side. They've got they've got a long way to go, and it's not a bad thing. I think Ryan Lowe has achieved what everyone expected him to achieve. They've been inconsistent to see. There's been frustration. There's been good times. There's been bad times. That is that's exactly what a mid-table team goes through. Um, and I think if given some semblance of a budget, I think Ryan Lowe can, can steer them close to the playoffs. But yeah, I think that's a long way away. Well, Ryan Lowe even said after the game that they're not playoff contenders. And when your own manager saying that, it says quite a lot. If you look at the table, they may look like they could challenge for the playoffs. But, you know, you put Preston side by side against virtually every other team above them. They're miles off, aren't they? Yeah. I think Ryan Lowe deserves a lot of credit, actually, for having this Preston team sat in the top half of the table. Because... In terms of how good the side actually is, it's definitely not a top-half side, is it? I mean, how many players in this Preston team would actually get into any of the other teams in the top half? Maybe two, possibly three at a push. It's going to take a lot of very clever recruitment for this Preston team to progress to the next level. However, Ryan Lowe's admitted that there may not be much money again for them to spend this summer. So I'm not too sure how they're going to progress as a football club, unless they play an absolute blinder in the summer transfer window. Ryan Lowe is a great manager, someone we both rate highly, Justin, but there's only so much he can do because his hands are basically tied behind his back with Preston's refusal really to go out there and be a bit more ambitious when it comes to recruitment. Let's move on to a huge game in the fight to stay up. QPR nil. Birmingham won a Tariff Chong goal in the opening minutes, gave Blues a huge win. This was the de dictionary definition of a six-pointer because both these sides have been in free fall. This is unbelievable, Justin. To give you an idea of how much they've both been in free fall, on Christmas Day, QPR was sixth and Birmingham were ninth. Madness. <laughs> Absolute madness. And I find it difficult to express how big a result this is for Birmingham City and how bad a result it is for QPR. Oh, it's it's massive, isn't it? Not only that, but the the way the game was played out. Birmingham were fantastic. I, I thought they were defensively, they were brilliant. Um, John Eustace had them really drilled well and organised. And it's probably where Gareth Ainsworth wants his QPR side to be, but they're nowhere near it. They're absolutely nowhere near it. Um, and I do worry for QPR under, under Gareth Ainsworth now. I am starting to become a little bit more concerned. But Birmingham City were, were, were brilliant. And the, as I said, they were much the better side. They have... I wouldn't say they've impressed me over the last few weeks, but I don't think their performances have been as bad as their results. Um, they have been putting in some decent performances. They've just been owing to some sloppy um, periods of play. 
Um, you know, to go back to that Watford game, first 20 minutes, really passive, for example. Um, but they were good here. They they came out the blocks really well, started really well, got got an early goal and they, they were able to defend from it. They are a, a half-decent side. I just don't think results have quite justified their performances. Well, they had to really dig in here, didn't they? And it was a bit ugly at times, but, you know, who cares? They just needed Six the point. three points. Yeah, they just needed to get the three points on the board and they fully deserved it. Christian Bielik was excellent in the middle of the park. Mark Roberts, Kevin Long, were both very solid at the back. Austin Trusty was asked to do a job at left back and did it very well as well. I think this result is so monumental for Birmingham that they should be all right now. I was worried about them not long ago. They were dropping like a stone and I seriously thought that they were the most likely to go down out of all the sides outside of the bottom three at the time. But they're now nine points clear considering how few and far between wins have been for the bottom three. A nine-point gap should be enough unless Birmingham don't pick up another point for the rest of the season. I mean, look, they, they've picked up seven points from Wigan, Rotherham and QPR. Three teams all fighting to stay up themselves. So John Eustace deserves a lot of credit for managing to pick these players up because they could have quite easily folded when you consider how bad their form has been. But they've grounded out three very important results, which should mean they've got a much less nervy final nine games. And hopefully they can sort out whatever's going on off the pitch so the club can move on. Well, absolutely. Um, as I say, I think I think they're fine. I think they're absolutely fine. I think defensively they're, they're more than good enough and they've got they've got match winners in the side, which is more than a lot of teams that are down there. And as you quite, quite rightly say, it gives them a cushion, takes the pressure off them and gives them a chance to, to get things resolved off the field because God knows how much of an issue that has been for a long time. And I think for me, as soon as those issues are fixed off the pitch, and there's a lot of issues and it's certainly easier to say than it is to do, um, I think Birmingham City will be a very, very good see, good good team in this division um, because we've seen glimpses of it under Eustace so far. It doesn't I don't think it would take much for him to to turn them into an even better side than what he's shown at times this season. So, yeah, those those um, those off off the field issues really holding Birmingham City back, as we know. Um, but you know, having a, a relatively comfortable end to the season will be a massive success. Yeah, a lot does depend on what happens off the pitch with the ownership situation. Hopefully that does get sorted out soon for everyone's sake. So we think Birmingham should be okay now. The same it cannot be said about QPR, who really are plummeting. They're madly pulling out their parachute, aren't they? But there doesn't seem to be any signs of it coming out anytime soon. Seven losses from eight. They've picked up 12 points from their last 22 games. Those are some mm. scary numbers, Justin. <laughs> yeah, all numbers are scary to me, but yeah, those ones particularly bad. Um, it is. I, I I don't really know where I stand now with QPR and Ainsworth because, like Critchley, I think Ainsworth has a very good appointment on paper, but sometimes things just don't quite work out the way they the way they are. And I know it's very early for me to say this amongst Ainsworth's first couple of weeks in charge, um, but I go back to that hacker video and I'm thinking, are these players really buying into it? Are they really buying into it? I was listening to a segment about sports psychology and about body language, about reaction to leaders and stuff, uh, and, you know, interesting stuff like that. Um, and it you know, it just made me question the QPR a hell of a lot. And I think this two-week period is so massive for Ainsworth and QPR over this international break, um, probably more significant than any other side in the division. Because if it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't pay off, if he can't motivate and galvanise this team, I worry for both him as a manager of QPR and also QPR in general because they're good teams at that club 
and they do not look anywhere near good players. Nowhere near. Well, Gareth Ainsworth's football is one of those that when you're winning, it's fine to watch. But when you're losing, it's very, very difficult to sit there and watch as a supporter. We'll always say he's a top bloke, but I can't say I've ever been a fan of his style of play. They've gone from some really nice football under Mick Beal, Elias Chair and Chris Willock at the top weaving their magic, the two attacking wing-backs in Laird and Paul both getting forwards. Now they're just booting it up to Chris Martin. It's really, really poor. And I've had a lot of people asking me recently what's happened to QPR. It's really difficult to say what's happened to QPR. To be fair... They've been blighted by injuries. Maybe things will improve when Chair and Willock are, are back and a few others. Will they fit into Gareth Ainsworth's system when the ball's soaring over their heads? I'm not too sure. But I think it's too simplistic to say they'll be better when players come back because there's so many problems with this team. The defence is a mess. They've conceded 29 goals this calendar year, five more than any other championship side. Now, I saw, <laughs> it's funny I say that because I saw the West London sport writer Ian McCulloch tweeted this week to say they should have asked the guy who did the hacker to play at centre-half. Um, <laughs> it can't get much worse, can it? The club is in free fall and I'm extraordinarily concerned about them. Other clubs are nearer to the bottom three in the table, but they're in big trouble. Big, big trouble because I just cannot see where the next win's coming from. Let's go to another game, which is huge in the fight to stay up, Rotherham v Cardiff, but this one was postponed after 48 minutes because of a waterlogged pitch. Cardiff were 1-0 up at the time, and the fans were fuming, as was Sabri Lamouchi. Matt Taylor, the Rotherham manager, insisted the ground staff did everything they could to get the game back on. Indeed, many videos of the ground staff trying to clear the pitch of water have become the subject of mockery online. Go on there, Justin, what do you think? <laughs> I, I don't think the game should have been called off as early as it was. Um, that being said, I don't think there's a conspiracy with the ground staff. I think they were just fighting a losing battle. Um, uh, let's put I'm going to put myself in their shoes. If I'm trying to clear water off the pitch and it's still constantly raining, I'm not going to be the most motivated person in the world. I'm going to be thinking, why the, am I doing this? Why is this? I, I'm, 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 this I'm not doing anything. Um that being said, I do think uh, I think the ref was Ollie Langford. I do think he was quite quick to call the game off. I saw I saw a lot of videos of the ball rolling relatively well. I've seen worse pitches this season. I mean, you you go back to last season. I think it was that Plymouth game um, where the ball stopped dead several times in a phase of a play, um, and I think it was Plymouth scored in the end. Um, you know, that's that's probably the, 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 as bad as it could get. I saw the ref throw the ball in the air and the ball not bounce. Well, I mean, we're not playing basketball, are we? It's, it's football. The, the ball glides across the ground. So I do think maybe the game could have been played on. Um, I think the most frustrating thing is I think the game gets reset back to nil-nil um, and replayed completely from the, from scratch, which I think is yeah leaves a bit of a bitter taste in my mouth. I can understand why. Cardiff are so annoyed about this. They were battering Rotherham in this game. There's no two ways about it. And I've particularly got sympathy for the supporters who have had to do a six or seven hour round trip to get there. But it's just a freak storm. These things happen. Yes, some of the videos of the ground staff look like they weren't giving it their rule, but I don't really see what more they were expected to do because 
they're not superheroes who can magically dry up the pitch with their bare hands by just like pointing their fingers at the pitch. Should a championship game be getting postponed mid-game in 2023? Maybe not. But rather than have limited resources. And I don't think there was much more they could have done no. to get it on, personally. Uh, let's quickly chat about the game, though, even though it may be a bit pointless, but here we are. And I tell you what, Sabula Mushi would have been even more fuming than he was if Cardiff were winning this by more than one goal, which they really should have been in the first half, shouldn't they? They, they absolutely dominated. This is probably why he's so he's so angry is because of how good they were. They were brilliant. They 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 pressed high. They pressed aggressive, and there's some really good individual performances in there as well. And they really had Rotherham's number. They were. Um, it was. A, it, I wouldn't say it was a very one-sided game. I know Benny had a chance, but in terms of sort of sharing the play, Cardiff were should have been three or four up. Um, they were. They were fantastic and. They would have been desperate for that game to to to, to carry on. Although I do think the more the game carry on in that you know, circumstance, I think it probably would have suited Rotherham more um, than it would have Cardiff. But that being said, Cardiff were brilliant, and you you do hope that they can carry that on into their next game in in a few weeks' time because it was a really good first 40, 50 minutes, whatever it was. Yeah, spot on. Jaden Philogene was excellent again. Mm. He's someone who's really impressed me in recent weeks. So, yeah, be interested to see when that game does get played. Apparently, it's going to be on a Tuesday night. When that is, though, who knows at the moment. But watch this space. The shot result of the weekend came at the Den as Huddersfield beat Millwall one 0 Where the hell did this one come from, Justin? <laughs> it was a it was a strange one, but obviously Huddersfield taking a, a massive positive from from midweek and into this game. Um, I mean, it'll be. Difficult to say they, they fully deserved it, but I think teams do go away to tough places, get a clean sheet and a one nil win, take the chances. They they certainly do deserve it. I mean, in terms of the share of the play, you know, it was a, it was a you know Millwall would have been impressed with that away performance. They did it against Stoke a couple of weeks back, one shot on target and and, and they win. It was a it was one of those sorts of games. It was a proper Neil Warnock game where your backs up against it. You don't have much of the possession at all, um, but you take your chance when it comes, and they did, and they take that win. Four points in, in two games in a week. Very good week for us who are going into the international break. Yeah, this was a proper snatching grab, wasn't it? But to be fair, Huddersfield did defend brilliantly. They mm-hmm. they restricted Millwall to shots from distance. Millwall had 18 shots and 71% possession, but the closest they came was through Andreas Vogelsammer in the first few minutes. After that, they didn't really have much of a sniff, did they? If there is a strength that this Huddersfield team have, it's that they're not actually too bad at the back, are they? It's just going forwards where they've had problems all season. But a huge shock and a huge result for Huddersfield. We've said in the last couple of episodes that they're probably down. We haven't had too many, if any, Huddersfield fans actually disagreeing with us on that. In fact, we got criticised for apparently stating the obvious. Um, (laughs) We can't win sometimes, can we, Justin? Um, But do you have any renewed hope that they could actually stay up after this result? I would have if Blackpool didn't win 6-1 in midweek and then get panned 4-1 this weekend. I think the reason why I bring that into as an example is because you just can't, with those teams now in that bottom three, you just cannot take anything for granted just because they've not been able to build at any point in the season any form at all. No, none of those teams have been able to do it. Maybe Wigan at the start of the season, but again, it's the start of the season. You know, Anything goes at that point. So for Huddersfield, for, for Huddersfield to generate momentum generate form they need to build upon it they need to get two or three more results similar to this similar to the amount of points they've won over the last two games then you start to then I would start to hope as a neutral as a supporter I'd be I'd certainly be getting carried away um, 
because it's the hope that kills you. But as a as a neutral, I can't see Huddersfield. Just can't see them building that form just because I've not seen it all season. There's nothing to go off. Um, that being said, if they can repeat the performances of the last two games over the course of the next nine games, then they give themselves a fighting chance. But that's all they've got at the moment—a fighting chance. And in terms of if it's a, if it's a boxing bout, you know their legs are wobbling, their legs are wobbling, but there's still life in there. And that's that's the only thing I can say about Huddersfield at the moment. Yeah, we have got to remember that their remaining games are incredibly hard. Five of their next six are against sides in the top <coughs> half, who all will still fancy their chances of promotion. Also. This is probably the most crucial point of all. Huddersfield have been shocking recently. Absolutely awful. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure a massive snatch and grab win like this is enough to make me think they've turned a corner. There is also the possibility of them going into administration before Thursday, which we'll discuss more in the news, Justin. But reports say it's something they're considering. So plenty of caveats to be considered here. What I will say is... If Neil Warnock keeps Huddersfield Town up, it'll be the biggest miracle he has ever pulled mm-hmm. off. Can't say it personally, but it would be incredible if he did it. In an interesting twist as well, three of Neil Warnock's ex-clubs are directly above Huddersfield in the table right now. Cardiff, Rotherham and QPR. So maybe uh, looking to put one of them in a bit of misery at his own, uh, uh, at, at his own expense or whatever the phrase is. Um, Millwall could have gone fifth with a win here, created a six-point cushion for themselves in the playoffs if they did get the win. So it's a massive missed opportunity for them, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. I think for me, the last few games, performances have dipped a little bit. I, I don't think we've seen the Millwall that we know we've had at uh, various points this season. Um, and hopefully it, it serves as a bit of a wake-up call for them because maybe they've got into a point... I think it was last weekend or midweek, I can't remember, last game or whatever it was. They just found a way to win. They weren't at their best, but they found a way to win. Um, and it wasn't, you know, that sustaining that type of form, I think it's only Blackburn who have been able to do that this season, just finding ways to win. Um, I don't think many teams can do it, and certainly Millwall have shown that they can't. They had a lot of possession, but they didn't create too many clear-cut chances. Um, certainly not at their best, and... Yeah, they, they, they need to improve massively. Um, and as I say, hopefully it serves as a bit of a wake-up call because there are some good teams looking to get into the playoffs. We will cannot afford to drop off. Watford were held to a one-all draw by Wigan, similar to Millwall v Huddersfield, a missed opportunity for the home side. Massively missed off. Uh, a massive missed off opportunity. It was a frustrating game, I think, for Watford. I think, obviously, they dominated large spells, dominated chances, but Wigan were very, very stubborn. It was a steely performance. One against... Uh, a lot of adversity against them, which probably served them, uh, served them well. Uh, I just think Watford probably overcomplicated things a bit too much every time they got the ball into that final third. Jao Pedro probably trying a little bit too hard at times because it wasn't his best game by any means. He had a really good chance to, I think it was make it 1-0 or 2-0. Um, and, he, and he missed. It was a glorious miss as well. So yeah, frustrating day for, for Chris Wilder. I mean, things boiled over at the end as well. So just goes to show how frustrated he was. Yeah, Wilder and Maloney were having a little tiff in this one. Wilder accused Wigan of time-wasting, which having seen this game, I can somewhat understand why he was quite annoyed. An unbelievable header by James McLean to equalise for Wigan. He then celebrates right in front of the Watford fans. He's always been known for being popular with opposition supporters, hasn't he? Uh, Ultimately, though, Watford had all the possessions, spent loads of times at the Wigan half and just couldn't make it happen. João Pedro, as you say, Justin, had a poor game. Keenan Davis, he did well. Um, but otherwise, there was very little inspiration from any of the Watford players. Under Wilder, they've now played QPR, Birmingham and Wigan. Three teams 
all struggling massively and they've picked up four points not inspiring is it and Andrew French who's the writer for the Watford Observer has said this while not winning hasn't applied the final nail failure to beat bottom side Wigan at home is certainly akin to watching the lid being lowered on the coffin of Watford's playoff hopes do you agree Justin it's hard to disagree uh, there's still quite a lot of football to be played and Wilder's got two weeks with the players. Again, it's, I can't emphasise how important this two weeks is for a lot of teams. Watford are one of those teams like QPR. It can be massive. It can be absolutely massive because um, we know what Wilder can do with, with time um, with time of his players. That being said, Wilder teams have got to be a lot fitter than this Watford team is. Um, and as well as that, we've seen this team stutter under three managers so far. Not the players' fault, I don't think. I, th- I think they are um, you know, symptomatic of, of different styles of play. Um, and now we've got Chris Wilder trying to do something slightly different to what Billich and Rob Edwards were trying. Um, so I think that's more of the, the issues why Watford have struggled to generate any momentum going forwards. So yeah, there's still a lot of football to be played and I wouldn't rule it out just yet because there's a lot of quality in this Watford team and they've got a quality manager as well. Well, this season has just been a mess. A lot of it self-imposed. The club hierarchy don't know what direction they want to go in. They said at the beginning of the season, they don't want to be known as the second club anymore. They've had three managers this season, all with different philosophies. This squad doesn't suit any of those managers either. There are clear holes in this team which haven't been addressed. However, in terms of quality, there are very good players here. In fact, it's probably a top two squad. There, there are some players who should be playing in the Premier League in this team. But the whole setup is just underwhelming. They've won four league games since Christmas, which is completely inexcusable for this group of players. And if you showed me the final league table for this season and Watford were in the top six, I'd be amazed. I'd be bloody stunned because they'd have to be playing a hell of a lot better than they have done under Wilder so far but if they don't get in the top six wouldn't be a surprise at all because this season has been very very underwhelming and it all starts with the people at the top who simply don't seem to have a plan in place for how this club is going to go forwards Uh, considering the players and staff haven't been paid Wigan deserve a lot of credit for going away to a relegated side with a much bigger budget than Wigan and getting a result. In fact, Sean Maloney deserves so much respect for the job he's doing. Yes, Wigan are probably going down and they've only won one game under him, but they've drawn more games than they've lost since he came in. They're much better at the back than they were under Colo Torre. My Lord, it's like night and day in that respect. And he's managed to do this when the players and staff are wondering when they're going to get their next paycheck. Hmm. Now, the reports are saying that he's flying to Bahrain himself to speak with the owners and find out what the hell's going on. And I think that just shows that he's proving to be a real leader and he commends a lot of respect. He probably won't be keeping Wigan in the championship, but I think in the short time that he's been there, he's shown that he's the man who should be in charge of the club for the long term. completely agree with it. And I think... I'd almost go as far as to say is that if he was put in charge back when Torre was put in charge, uh, I'd like to think that Wigan would either be outside of the bottom three by uh, at this point, or at least batting a lot closer to to those teams above them than they are now. Um, he's shown that he's a good manager. He's proved me wrong. I was sceptical of the decision to hire him, but 
what he's done there. He's 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 made them difficult to beat. He's made them difficult to break down. He's made him a very stubborn side, and it just takes time to get that attack going. That being said, the attack's not been great all season. It's not just a Maloney problem anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree with you. He deserves a hell of a lot of respect for the job he's doing in, in difficult circumstances. Uh, and as well as that, he certainly is the man to, to lead them going forward. He's, he's shown that in the, in the short time he's been in charge so far. Spot on, Justin. Let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about wins for Coventry and draws between Reading and Hull. Back to the second tier podcast and just days after their remarkable 6-1 win against QPR, Blackpool were brought back down to earth with a bump after being beaten 4-1 by Coventry. It was an emphatic victory for Coventry, wasn't it? Although on a different day, could have been a bit different with perhaps another referee in charge. Victor Jacarez was quite lucky to still be on the pitch after a to-do with a Blackpool player and then Blackpool could have had another penalty in addition to the one they did get. Despite all this, Coventry were much the better side, weren't they? Yeah, much the better side. And you know, Blackpool left a lot to be desired defensively as well. Um, but yeah, Cov, Cov looked good. They, they're annoying. They're an annoying team in the sense that they uh, they re- reaffirm why they might not finish in the top six, but then they put in a performance that make you go, actually, they might they might be up there come the end of the season. Um, I mean, that's the only annoying thing about them because they're a very good side to watch. And I think the positive thing here is. Despite them scoring four goals, Gokarez wasn't on the score sheet. There was just a lot of positives to come from individuals. They they moved the ball well. They looked confident. Gordon's on the score sheet again. He's, he's looking like he's getting back to his best, which is a huge positive. Ben Sheaf is back in. Obviously, he's got on the score sheet as well. Um, Carl McFadden's back in, got on the score sheet as well. Yeah, I think as, as far as good days go for Mark Robbins and Coventry, this was yeah, a very, very good day for them. Yeah, and just as I thought Coventry's playoff push was fading, they pull this out of the bag. They were great. And you look at their remaining games, they've got Watford, Blackburn and Middlesbrough. Otherwise, it's all against bottom half sides. So they've certainly still got a chance. I wanted to highlight someone who, for me, has been one of the best midfielders in the division this season. And it's Ben Sheaf once again. I think we did a and a lot long ago, didn't we? And I picked him mm. as the most underrated player in the division He's underrated because he does all the dirty work that often goes unnoticed, but he chipped in here with a goal, which he doesn't do very often. However, he is a brilliant player. He's third in the division for most tackles and interceptions combined this season. I mean, he's missed a few games through injury recently, so would maybe be even higher in that respect if he wasn't out. Um, he also ranks highly for the most progressive passes made. If it wasn't for Victor Jokeres, he'd be my commentary player of the season because I think he does a wonderful job in the middle of the park. Such a talented boy and still quite young as well, worth remembering. Uh, this game makes me reconsider how much of that 6-1 win in the week was down to Blackpool being good and QPR being bad. It was an unchanged side for this game and it wasn't great, was it? Mick McCarthy even admitted it was awful. I don't really know what to make of this Blackpool team, Justin. I keep thinking they can run it close in terms of staying up, but it's nine points from a possible 33 since Mick McCarthy came in. And they've had many more bad performances than all right ones, haven't they? Yeah, they have. They've been, on the whole, very, very poor under Mick McCarthy. And he's been unable to tap into what is a lot of 
good potential in this team. I think I think there's a certainly a lot of players there who are capable of um, performing at a higher level. Uh, I say higher level, higher than where Blackpool are on the table right now. Um, and there's certainly a lot of players there who should be in a team with Blackpool now. They should be a lot higher in the table, um, but they've not been able to generate any sense of form all season. This game was just a sort of a microcosm of why Blackpool are down in the bottom three. The defending for some of the goals was atrocious. I think it's like McFadzie in goal. I think I can't remember I don't know who it was who cleared it, but they sort of tried to, they cleared it back into danger rather than putting it into sort of row Z. Put it back into danger. McFadzie's finish was exquisite um, and emphatic. Um and it's just you know a, a complete it's just a mess defensively and it has been all season. That's why they're down there. Um and as well as that they're not a particularly liquid side going forwards and that's the uh, another major frustration is they've got plenty of good attacking players, but I've got nowhere near the potential of what they can do. Um, maybe Neil Critchley lured us into a bit of a false sense of what they could achieve last season. Maybe they massively overachieved. I think they overachieved a little bit, but maybe they overachieved even more than than, than we think. Um, yeah, a lot of problems at Blackpool. Not been solved by two managers now. I still disagree with the McCarthy appointment. I think they could have gone for somebody else. Reading v Hull finished 1-0. Liam Mazzini has said they would have won the game if it wasn't for the referee performance. He wasn't happy with that, but Hull were the better side here. They just could not make their domination count, Justin. They had plenty of chances. They created plenty of chances, but they weren't able to, to convert the ball uh, into the back of the net. It's just one of those tar- well, one of those situations where Hull uh, certainly um, they should have come away with three points, but just things were working against them. It's, I still think it's good progress and pro- probably a half decent result for them. Um, yeah, Reading are a good side at home. They got one of the best dif- home records in the division. I know they've not been in good form of late, um, but it's just that final bit of quality they were lacking and probably have been lacking for a fair chunk of the season. Um, it's just one of those games. It's, it was just one of those games where just things worked against them. Yeah, who did play well, and you can see there's a plan there with them, which is more than what you could say about plenty of other sides in exactly. this division. So they sit 15th, 11 points clear of the bottom three, so definitely safe if there was any questions about that. Uh, this was Reading's first point in five games, and every point matters to them at this point with the points deduction looming. More on that in the news, but it wasn't a great showing from Reading in this one. A valuable point, but... They were very lacklustre, weren't they? There was this very strange moment in this game where Reading defender Tom Holmes has played a pass up to Tom Ince. He's gone out of play. And as the ball goes over the line, Ince volleys it back in anger towards his own goal. I don't think I've seen anything like it, but it's very, very strange. And I suppose says a lot about the frustration at Reading right now. Our friends at Elm Park Royals, the Reading podcast, they've called for Paul Ince to be sacked during this international break to get someone else in and save them from relegation. What do you think, Justin? Sackings cost money. Money that Reading cannot spare with at the moment. I think that's a very, very important uh, point to make. Um, I'm uh, I'm on the fence with it. I think, for me, as a non-Reading fan, Paul Ince has built up a lot of credit in the bank. Um, that being said, performances have not been good enough since the turn of the year. The industrious side of things um, has been difficult to watch and I don't think Paul Ince is getting enough out of the attacking potential in this team you look at the amount of games Lucas Schau's involved in now I think that's absolutely piss poor he's one of the best or can be one of the best number nines in the division his touch is fantastic his ability to link up with 
other attackers he's there for everybody to see and his finishing ability is amongst the best in the championship when he gets going when he stays fit his finishing is incredible um, instead he's relying heavily on crossing the ball from deep into Andy Carroll works from time to time but probability wise it's just not not a sustainable way of attacking so yeah I can see I, I can sympathise with Reading supporters as someone who's not a fan I do sit on the fence with it a late Emma Diallo penalty rescued a point for Sunderland at home to Luton. One all that game ended. Only one place to start here, Justin. Was it a penalty? <laughs> no, it wasn't a penalty. It was incredibly <laughs> soft. I don't think the referee was convinced it was a penalty either. He took a long time to give it, looked across to his linesman straight away, then it was given. It was a bit of a strange situation, but definitely not a penalty. It's it's just not a penalty in a million <laughs> years, is it? The referee, Scott Oldham, takes ages to decide as well so much so that I assume well, this is what, what I assume uh, he doesn't think it's a penalty and then his assistant says in his ear that he thinks it is if you're going to give a penalty in the 86th minute of a game mm-hmm. you've got to be absolutely sure so it's inexcusable for him to take that long to decide in the first place but then it's just not a penalty anyway I, I don't know what they think they've seen to make it a penalty in their minds but it's a calamitous decision and Ultimately, it's taken two points away from Luton, which could be massive come the end of the season, considering their position in the table. So it won't surprise mm-hmm. me if we look back on this in a few months' time and go, well, that's cost them two points there, and it's an awful refereeing decision. Uh, not much else really to say on the game. Luton defended well, looked like they were going to get a hard-fought victory before <laughs> the referee did this. Yeah, it was a tight game. I think Mowbray summed up Sunderland nicely in this. Uh, he said that... They're just missing a few ingredients to make them a good team. It's hard to disagree with them. Um, I think at the moment they're probably a carrot cake without all the spices. There's a sweetness to them. They look good. Um, but there's something missing. And you know, it's, it, it's tight games like this that sort of reaffirm that um, that notion for, for Sunderland. Um, and Luton, fairly decent away performance. Not overly impressed with them, but sort of they're a good side. Difficult to play against. So probably taking a point away from the game isn't a bad one. Never thought I'd hear the day that Sunderland are compared to a carrot cake, but, you know, Justin Peach and his metaphors, who knows what's going to happen next. Luton remain fourth, six points off the top two, a seven-point cushion inside the top six. Sunderland are 11th, seven points off the top six. This Sunday afternoon in the We Both Hate Cardiff derby, Swansea beat Bristol City 2-0. Big win for Swansea, just their fourth one since October, and I was just beginning to get a bit worried about them possibly being in danger of sleepwalking into the relegation battle so I think this goes a long way to averting the chances of that happening it's really important to point out as well that the, we both hate Derby both hate Cardiff Derby is referring to Swansea and Bristol City not Ryan and I really important to point that out your Sound paranoia like... your paranoia Justin <laughs> about that being taken the wrong way <laughs> clear for everyone to see of course it's about Swansea and Bristol City <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a decent game. It was a good performance and a clean sheet from Swansea. I think that's the main thing here. They've been able to come away from this game with a clean sheet. Bristol City, they're blowing hot and cold at the moment. There's some good things. There's some bad, uh, bad things about them in their in their form. I think the, the the main thing is that they are not on that sustained run of form that they go on when they come out of a good run of form. They usually lose games and be really poor. I know they lost this one and it's a disappointing defeat but at the same time it wasn't the worst performance in the world. Swansea just turned it on. Um, Oliver and Jan was, was was scintillating going forwards and they looked a lot better as a four at the back rather than a, a, as a three at the back as well. So yeah, good day for Swansea, bad day for Bristol City. Not too much to go off. 
you know, I was just checking when their last clean sheet was. Swansea, this is because they've been hopeless defensively. Last clean sheet was November in a nil-nil draw against Huddersfield. Was that considering? Big? Well, considering Huddersfield aren't very good going forwards, then I think that what that clean sheet is a is a bit generous in itself. So yeah. I think that clean sheet is worth its weight in gold for Russell Martin, considering they have been so bad at the back. But yeah, Bristol City, they're on that bad part of form, aren't they? That we predicted had to happen not long ago. So, yep, Swansea 2, Bristol City 0. Decent result for the Swans. And finally, it's Stoke v Norwich, which ended goalless. Only one team deserved to win this one. Angus Gunn was a very busy boy in the Norwich goal. They were underwhelming again. Well, Stoke continued to impress. Anything else to add, Justin? It's a good indicator of how Stoke, how far Stoke have come in recent weeks. January they were they looked like they were certs for being in a relegation battle, but the form switched. Performance has massively improved, and they've they've hit a really good patch of form. And um, it's just frustrating that it's come so so late because they've got some good players, they've got some lot, they've got a lot of potential. But yeah, they they look like the side who are knocking on the door of the playoffs rather than Norwich. I think that's the telling thing about this game. Yeah, spot on. Right now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Wigan today is reporting Wigan's senior players were offered a partial payment of their wages early this week, with the rest being deferred. As of the time of recording, the latest reports I've seen have said that they still haven't been paid and the club failed after the club failed to pay their wages a matter of weeks ago. And this, why is this still happening, Justin? Why is this still a thing that they haven't been paid? It's, yeah, yeah, um, I, it's hard to sort of not get angry about it uh, and being a Derby supporter and going through what all Derby supporters went through last season and Wigan fans only went through a couple of seasons ago it just it frustrates you again these you know, footballers are humans they they just come up from League One there are a lot of players in that contingent who are not you know wealthy footballers they've still got bills to pay they've still got mortgages to pay etc and I think that sort of falls by the wayside um, because you just label footballers as wealthy individuals and it's certainly not going to be the case with a team who were in League One last season um I don't really know what to say that isn't going to be anger towards the current ownership. The lack of transparency, the lack of, um, well, communication on the situation is is dreadful. Um, and I think you know we're getting to a point where the EFL needs to step in and demand answers because for this to happen a fourth time in a season is or within a year is is dreadful. Uh, and for them to only offer part of the wages to be paid this month is. A worrying situation. Footy Insider says Huddersfield are considering pre-pack administration, which would see their debts written off for an incoming new owner. They'll be subject to a 12-point penalty if they enter administration before next Thursday or next season, if the call is made after that date. The club is set to be in talks with two groups regarding a potential takeover and a would-be new owner would give the green light for any before any insolvency procedure is actioned. Concerning, concerning news, isn't it, Justin? Yeah, obviously it's not full-blown administration, so there is some positive there. Um, that being said, again, I think the thing that falls by the wayside is the creditors don't get all of their you know, debt, uh, essentially, um, which again is 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 you know, frustrating. But again, it's it's just it's just football. Football's expensive. 
Um, and the situation with Huddersfield hasn't been resolved. You know, Dean Hall's been paying the bills. He's only 20%. He only, he only owns 20% of the shareholding. Um, Phil Hodgson still owns the majority, um, but obviously he's he ran into financial trouble. There's just a lot of a lot of problems there at Huddersfield, and if this is the one way to get out of it, then then they certainly need to take it. But it's only going to work if that buyer is nailed on, and that's not a guarantee in football. I can't imagine Neil Warnock would be very chuffed if they get a 12 point deduction. It, it, would he have been aware of this being a possibility when he signed up for the job? I'm not too sure. So mm. yeah, it'll be um be very interesting to see what happens before Thursday and whether they do go into administration or not. Um, I hope you enjoy financial news, ladies and gentlemen, because it's only going to keep on coming, I'm afraid. The Daily Mail says Sheffield United have turned off undersoil heating and restricted the use of grass fertiliser and paint as they seek to avoid a points deduction and administration. We know the financial situation there is a bit precarious, but this is just ridiculous, isn't it, Justin? <laughs> It is. It, it, for, for so many clubs to have this hanging over them is is completely bonkers, especially again at championship level. I know the Sheffield United CEO has come out and sort of rubbished that report, but it's still, you know, there's still a lot of unanswered questions at Sheffield United. Um, there's still a hell of a lot of unanswered questions, and that whether or not the, the reports are true, I know you know, officials will say that they're not, and that's absolutely, absolutely fine, but still, there's, you know, contracts that haven't been signed there's still the transfer embargo so the fee transfer fees outstanding transfer fees haven't been paid still a lot of problems and again not pointing the finger at the EFL I don't think it's particularly fair in these scenarios but again they, they're, they're probably they're probably pulling their hair out at the situation that's evolved over the last few months for several clubs well this is why I was saying not too long ago that this is a huge few months for Sheffield United and the club's future they desperately need this takeover, this impending takeover to go through. Whether it does or not, who really knows? Because there have been various reports about the guy which make you raise your eyebrows, to say the very least. If the takeover doesn't go through, then Sheffield United need Premier League money. And that's why promotion is so crucial for them. Obviously, promotion is always important, but it's even more so with Sheffield United because it's their financial future, which could potentially um, be at risk here. The big question for me is, where has the money all gone? They're in the Premier League for two years and now they're at the point where they, they're apparently reportedly struggling to afford grass fertiliser and paint and undersoil mm. heating. What, what has happened? So I know the Sheffield United's budget is big, but it seems like there's been some massive massive mishandling of the club that's been going on behind the scenes and who knows what this team could look like next season they could end up with a points deduction it'll be a completely different squad if they don't go up I can guarantee that for sure so yeah a scary few months for Sheffield United and promotion is an absolute must otherwise the club's going to be in a very very worrying position the Reading Chronicle is reporting that Reading will get their six-point deduction this week. It's been expected to happen after the club failed to follow its business plan agreed with the EFL. No real news happening there, I suppose. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen, really, mm. wasn't it? Meanwhile, Reading lost £25 million from day-to-day -day operations in 2021-2022. Player sales reduced this to £17 million, but their total losses over the years... Ready yourself for this, ladies and gentlemen. ...are now £191 million pounds which is i mean that is eye-watering justin 
It is. It is horrendous. Um, I mean, hopefully the club's on a better path. Um, a £25 million loss for Reading is bad, but it's. I, I look at that and I go, oh, that's, that's not as bad as I thought it'd be. Um, so actually, they, they probably are on a much better path now, and I think the next year's accounts will certainly look a lot better than this year's accounts, again, in terms of um, those losses. But look, it's, it's, it's how irresponsibly run these football clubs were over a sort of the four or five year period um, several years ago. It's the hangover from that. Um, and we're hopefully seeing a, a period of time now where, where clubs are running a lot more prudently and running <laughs> runners as they should be because football clubs don't make a lot of money um, and, and therefore you have to underwrite losses as an owner. So hopefully lessons are being learned and we don't see those those years of reckless spending come back. Birmingham will use the training ground of Wasps Rugby Club following a fire at their own one. They've been using facilities next door since it happened two weeks ago. The club say the move is temporary while repair work is carried out. Sunderland owner Kirill Louis-Dreyfus has increased his majority shareholding in the club with fellow shareholder Juan Sartori also increasing his stake. Louis-Dreyfus previously held 51% of the shares in the club and has increased his holding to 58%. Sartori had a 30% holding and this has now been increased to 33%. Louis-Dreyfus and Sartoria brought their additional shares from Stuart Donald, whose stake has accordingly been reduced from 19% to 9%. In transfer news, Hull have signed Chelsea midfielder Xavier Simons on a permanent deal. The 19-year-old has been on loan at the Tigers and has signed a three-year deal. Bristol City have given a new contract to right-back George Tanner. He'll stay there until 2026. In injury news, Gary Medine suffered an ACL injury. The Blackpool striker will be out until the end of the year at the very least. Commentary midfielder Casey Palmer's out for the rest of the season with a hamstring injury. And finally, we'll end on a more cheerful note than this news section has been. Former Forest goalkeeper Brees Samba has been called up to the France squad. There's a brilliant video of him finding out the news with his Lons teammates and they go absolutely mental when his name is read out. You seen it, Justin? I have not seen the video. Um, I've seen that he's been called up which and it is, it is fantastic news because he's a character. Um, and it's one of those situations where he would have loved to have seen him in the Premier League because he's a character. Um, but yeah, I'll certainly, certainly get on that um, once we finish recording because got to warm the heart after that, yeah. Yeah, damn good goalkeeper. It was capable of the odd clangor here or there and the odd, the odd mad moments. But overall, as far as goalkeepers go over the past few years, has been a, a, one of the standout ones for me. Let's do the polls. This is part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. First question we asked was this. Which of these teams outside the bottom three is most likely to go down? Cardiff, QPR, Reading and Rotherham. Cardiff, QPR, Reading, Rotherham. I mean, Reading, you'd argue, because of that point deduction, puts them in contention. Rotherham's performances last three games or two and a half games have been very concerning, so it might try to bring them back down again. Um, but I'm going to go with QPR. They, they're in free fall, and I, I do stress about them a hell of a lot, and I do worry that Ainsworth is not the right man. 36% of people said QPR, 26% said Reading, 24% said Rotherham, 14% said Cardiff. I think Cardiff have got away with it there, considering they're the team who are 21st at the moment and only a handful of points above the bottom three. But uh, uh, either way, I, I probably would agree QPR are just an absolute free for right now, aren't they? Which of these mid-table teams will be the strongest next season? Bristol City, Hull, Preston or Stoke? I'm not going to get pulled in by Stoke ever again. Um, <laughs> I'd like to think they will be, but I just 
been been burnt too many times. Uh, I'm going to go with Hull. Um, I think they've got a lot of potential under Rossinia. They've become one of the best defensive teams under him. Um, and there's still a lot of attacking potential there under him as well. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Hull and Liam Rossinia. 53% of people said Stoke, 26% said Hull, 11% said Preston, 10% said Bristol City. I'd go Hull as well. I'm a bit surprised you didn't fancy Bristol City, Justin, considering how much you've been harking on about them this season. I think they've got a good young side and they'll probably be a little bit inconsistent again next season, maybe following season. They might turn themselves into playoff contenders. But again, Andy Vimer's not getting any younger, for example. So that sort of pulls me back in a bit. And finally, what's the best classic Mother's Day gift? Chocolate or flowers? Flowers. I got my more flowers. <laughs> Flower, flowers is a good gift. I don't know why you're laughing about it, Justin. I think as a man, over the years, I underestimated how much the female species enjoy a good mm-hmm. set of flowers. Because I don't understand it myself, but honestly, a bunch of flowers goes a long way. Yeah, you can't eat them. You can't play with them. So what do they do? Yeah, I don't understand it. They just make the place look nice, don't they? Yeah, they just make my hay fever flare up considerably (laughs) bad as well in the summer months. So, yeah, I'm not sure what they do, but if they make the other half happy, you can't complain, can we? 61% of people said flowers, 39% of people said chocolates. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So I'm going to ask Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I would say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs and he would say Villa, that's one down. And then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, then he'd be, well, he'd lose a life. So all he needs to do is give me all eight answers. Justin, this week, Simon Grayson has given you three lives on this one so you can afford to get two wrong. Now, of course, it was St. Patrick's Day this past week so it's an Irish themed question for you right here can you name for me the eight players with the most caps for the Irish national team I'll give you a clue one of them retired from the national team in 2002 one of them is still playing and the rest all retired from the national team in the 2010s so first one please Justin Peach John O'Shea yes why were you saying John O'Shea with such pain in your voice I don't know I don't. Maybe I'm a bit fatigued from the Simon Grayson's. So I've been. I've done them quite a few on my own, and they are. It's tiring. It's difficult. It's mentally, mentally taxing. Strange excuse. Uh, <laughs> he is third for the most Irish caps. One hundred and eighteen caps. He's got retired in twenty eighteen. So that's one down. We'll go Shay Given next. Shay Given is correct. He's got the second most caps in Irish football history with 134. Played for Ireland over 20 years. So well done to him. You're two down, Justin. I'm slightly worried that I'm going to say individuals that aren't yet retired. So I'll leave them till last. So one retired in 2002. Uh, uh, I don't know. Roy Keane. No, 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 no. Can I retract? Yes, you can retract. Okay, I'll retract that. I don't think he played that many games for them, to be honest. Um, So, John O'Shea, Richard Dunn. Richard Dunn, surprisingly, isn't in there, which I was amazed about. To be honest, he's only got 80 caps. The the kind of threshold for this is 93. Mm. Um, So, that's one life down, Justin. You've got two lives left. Yeah, I throw Robbie Keane. That's an easy one. Yes, Robbie Keane, 146 caps. He's the most capped player in Irish history. So that's three you've got so far. Five to go. 
Uh, I'm trying to think like the O2, uh, not the O2, sort of the, the 2012 team. All I can think about is Paul McShane. He's definitely not, he's definitely not going to be up there. Um, trying to think of right back Stephen Carr he was injury prone Gary Kelly he was I'm going to have to push uh, your just Justin you're prone. clearly stalling <sighs> yeah I am I am because I don't know Irish football very well um, I'll go with Steve Staunton I mean most of them have played in Britain so it's not really just Irish football you see what I mean but uh, Steve Staunton's correct 102 caps he's the one who retired in 2002 so that is correct you are halfway there I'll take that. Um, I don't know who played in goal after Shea Given. Um, I don't know, Liam Lawrence? Liam Lawrence didn't play in goal, but he's also not in this list. Um, he's so far off the list that I haven't even written down how many caps he's got. So <laughs> that's your other life gone. You've got one life remaining, Justin. Shane Long. He's the one that I'm not convinced is retired yet, but I'll throw him out. Shane Long has got 88 caps. As I said earlier, you needed 93 caps to be on this list. So, unfortunately, Justin, you're out. Um, not a great performance there, I've got to say. Uh, the players you were looking for, Kevin Kilban, 110 <sighs> caps, despite being from Preston. Uh, Damien Duff, 100 caps. What a player. What a player he was as well. James McLean, 96 caps. He's the one who's still playing for the national team out of this list. And finally, Aidan McGeady, 93 caps. Only scored five goals for the national team, which seems very low. Um, but there you go. That's the players you were looking for. Are you disappointed you didn't do better, Justin? I am and I'm not. Other than Damien Duff, they're largely very forgettable at international level. Sorry. I also was surprised to find out Seamus Coleman's only got not, only got sixty seven, which blew my mind a bit. I thought he'd have much more than sixty seven. But there you go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight, and this has been the second tier, and it's now an international break for us. So, what's going to be happening in Thursday's episode? Good question. Um, but I'm sure you'll find out uh, when that episode comes out. Um, so we look forward to seeing you then as we head towards the business end of the season, Justin. Of course, as we were saying earlier, once you get past this international break, it's the business end, baby. So we'll have a look at uh, that over the coming week and a bit. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big, big, big thank you for listening. <laughs>